Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 273 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. September arrives with a pleasant calming of the weather for us here. Warmer, drier days, but the inevitable cooler nights as summer gives way to autumn. Colonies are now preparing for winter and so should we. Stay tuned for my latest update on our beekeeping journey. Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, happy September. Another month slips by and here we are gently easing into autumn with a late flourish of warmer, more settled weather. Although you wouldn't think it looking out of the window right now. That's Friday morning, drizzly rain, thick cloud cover, It all feels a little dark for the time of day, really. I'm starting to put this week's podcast together during a quieter part of the day. It's just gone 5.30am and I'm wide awake, as normal as it happens. So I thought I'd put my time to good use. It's just getting light, the skies look very grey and it's going to be a damp morning by the looks of things. But I think this is going to be the last of the changeable weather, and we're in for something of an early autumn heatwave, at least for next week. Temperatures are expected to move into the mid-20s Celsius, the skies are going to clear, and we'll have a much more settled feel to the weather. At last, it does appear that the following week is possibly going to return to more showery weather, but let's enjoy it while it lasts. And of course, in forecasting terms, that's a long way off, so I expect it could change once again. It's all a little too late for my beekeeping season here in Norfolk. There's nothing really left for them to forage on. I did spot a little Himalayan balsam along the river at the fishing lakes, but not in any great swathes of pink flowers that the bees are going to make any effort to get to. The main focus of our colonies now seems to be foraging for propolis, Some of our hives have been totally gummed up with the stuff. Propolis is mostly plant secretions, sap, that kind of thing, other plant material, and the bees collect it and return to the hive and use it to close gaps, plug holes, reduce entrances, and probably lots of other purposes as well, I suspect. Some colonies seem totally focused on gathering the stuff, others using it minimally. One thing for sure is, at this time of the year, if you have any reason to open up the colonies to inspect them, you're probably going to have a lot of it to deal with generally. It's one of the reasons I don't really like opening colonies, unless I have to, at this time of the year. The bees have plugged everything they need to, and all I'm going to do is pull it all apart and give them more work to do. Now, in some cases, this is absolutely necessary, so don't think I'm suggesting that regardless of the situation your bees are in, that you don't inspect. If you have any reasons to open up the hive and check, then do so. But if your colony was healthy and queen right at your last inspection, they had food stores in the brood box and everything looked just fine, my advice would be to leave them undisturbed. You're not going to do any good opening up the hive, splitting frames apart, causing honey to spill out of torn cells and potentially attract robbers. 
if you're just thinking you want to inspect because they're at the bottom of the garden and anyway soon you won't be able to inspect them, I would urge you to grab a drink and a slice of cake, take a chair down to the hives and just sit and watch them doing their thing rather than disturbing them. I was at the fishing lakes yesterday afternoon. It was a scorchingly sunny afternoon, not something we've had for a while. And I was in the apiary that we had brought back bees from the pumpkins and borage, somewhere in the region of 30 plus colonies in that apiary now, I think. As an aside, this isn't the normal amount of colonies I would have in this apiary. This is now an overwintering apiary, somewhere close to home that I can monitor quite easily. Once we get through to the spring next year, the colonies will enjoy a flush of willow pollen to get them started, and then they'll be out to the oilseed rape pollination. Anyway, I was back at the fishing lakes this time to inspect just a couple of hives that we'd brought back from the pumpkins and borage. So just to reiterate, I have around 30 plus colonies here, and all I'm really interested in are the problematic ones, at least the ones I feel that may have an issue that needs further attention. The first one happened to be a swarm that I discovered beneath one of the pallets at the pumpkin apiary around the beginning of July. The old adage, a swarm in July isn't worth a fly, just didn't hold up true here as we took two supers of honey off them just four weeks later. Now, this was only because I was being a little greedy and, to be fair, as we only had supers available for the swarm to go into, there was always going to be a chance that they would create brood in the bottom super and fill the other two supers with honey, which is exactly what they did. Having robbed the bees of their honey, they were left with just one super, which included their brood nest area covering around seven or eight medium Langstroth frames and a couple of full frames of food. To this, I added above the super a Langstroth 10-frame brood box in the hope that they would move up into the brood box and the queen would start to lay eggs, creating a new brood nest area in that new brood box. This, then, is the reason I need to inspect this colony. I'm not inspecting them because I want to. I'm doing it because I need to. Something I've found over the years of beekeeping that I've had is that very often... The bees don't do as you want and some kind of intervention is required at some point. On top of this, any intervention that you do make is very often better if performed earlier rather than leaving it and hoping that the bees will make things right. So, inspecting this colony now gives me and the bees a good month or so to get settled down for the colder months. If left until later in the month, time really begins to ebb away fast and doesn't really give the bees the extra time to get themselves working on the important jobs that need doing in order to survive through to next spring. I want to explain in detail for any new beekeepers listening in my thought process and actual physical method of sorting out this colony so that they have a good chance of getting through this winter. Should I have bothered or not with any inspection of this colony? Well, in this case, inspecting them was the right thing to do, as they have been really reluctant to move up into that brood box. So how do we deal with this situation, and what's the best option to get them through the winter and into next season? The ideal situation is to have the queen, brood nest, and bulk of the stores in the brood box. 
there's far more easily accessible room in the brood box compared to the smaller super. But if the queen won't move up, you have to take matters into your own hands and evict her from the super and trap her into the brood box. Luckily for me, we're enjoying this spell of warmer weather, as I mentioned earlier, and this will allow the bees to move freely around both boxes without having to choose one or the other to cluster in if it were really cold. Remember, overnight temperatures are going to drop rapidly as we head through this month. Brood can easily become isolated and die, just as they would in spring, if you split a colony too hard. The first thing to do is to find the queen. If you can do this, then the rest of the process is pretty easy. Wouldn't you know it? On one of the first couple of frames, I spot her. She's getting on a bit. She's a white dot queen. This makes her three years old, and next year, the colony will probably need to have a new queen. For now, though, we'll help her through another winter and into her final spring. Fingers crossed. The brood box that I added to this swarm was all reasonably well-drawn comb, ideal for the situation where you need the queen to start laying quickly. Remember, these bees need a population of winter bees now, and the more our queen can lay, the better their chances of survival. The frames within the super that have been laid up with eggs equates to probably three full frames of brood, maybe? That's a great start to our winter population, but we could do with a lot more, really. Having found the queen, I move her on that super frame into the brood box. All I've done is just place that super frame into the middle of the brood box, pushed it tight against a brood frame, and the queen will hopefully basically move herself. While she's exploring the brood frame, I took the opportunity to have a good look through the sealed brood to make sure all was well. It was. Nice healthy looking brood, no signs of varroa or any other pests and diseases. As an aside, we've seen very little varroa, chalk brood or CBPV, chronic bee paralysis virus, this year. Wax moth are still an ever-present pest, but they're easy enough to deal with. Anyway, back to our hive. I've removed the super from the floor and placed the brood box in its normal position on that floor. All of the brood frames are empty, so I'm already thinking that they'll need some additional food. Remember, there's no real forage for them out here right now. They're going to need some help. The queen has successfully moved herself onto a brood frame. Again, for anyone just getting started, a couple of points about marked queens. Firstly, they're easier to spot than unmarked queens. And when you're first getting started, it can be tricky trying to identify where the queen is. Secondly, if you have the queen marked with the right colour for that year, you instantly know her age. The super frame that our queen was on goes back into the super, and the brood frames are pushed together tightly to ensure that they're spaced correctly, and a queen excluder is then put on top of the brood box. This makes sure that the queen is trapped in that brood box and has nowhere else to lay her eggs. That is, provided there's no gaps in the queen excluder, or that she's not so skinny that she can squeeze back through. The super goes back on top of the queen excluder. Here we have a fairly standard setup with floor, brood box, queen excluder, super, feeder and roof. The reason I've moved the super above the brood box is to allow any overnight warmth to rise into the super. 
and help with keeping the brood alive. The Queen will have her own entourage of workers tending to any eggs that she's laid and they'll manage the brood nest temperatures in the lower box. Sealed brood doesn't require the same level of temperature control as newly emerged larvae, so as the sealed brood ages, it will require less attention from the workers, allowing them to focus on the newly formed brood nest area in the brood box. Finally, they need some sugar syrup. I've given them around 5 kilos of heavy syrup. In fact, it's so heavy it started to granulate. Not to worry, they'll soon take all of that down, and it will have two main effects. Firstly, hopefully, acting as a stimulative feed. I'd really like the queen to continue to lay eggs for a while longer, building a larger brood nest area somewhere in the centre of the box, and hopefully this feed will encourage her to do that. Secondly, the surplus syrup will be stored around the brood nest area and provide the bees with valuable food through the winter months. To finish off this process, I'll be heading back in a week or so to check in on them, top up the feed, maybe switching to fondant to show how that works, and eventually, towards the end of the month, I'll finally swap the brood box and super around, placing the brood box on top of the super, and at the same time, removing the queen excluder. What should then happen is the workers will head down into the super and start moving food stores from there up into the brood nest and continue to do that as the winter proceeds. Hopefully, we'll have days when the cluster will break and they can move around freely after the food. With luck and a little help from me, they should make it through to next spring and we can assess how they are then and what we're going to do with them. The other colony in this apiary that I wanted to look at is a bit of a muddle really. The good news is it's really not so complicated in terms of explanation as the whole thing is really cobbled together from nothing. Let me explain. When we were at the borage I discovered a colony that had been on a double brood setup that had died, been robbed out and was still being robbed out by both wasps and honeybees. I took the roof and coverboard off and a cloud of wasps flew out. As we were really busy trying to move hives away, I simply put the hive back together and blocked the entrance, trapping the remaining honeybees inside. This meant we had a population of bees from different colonies, but no queen. When I opened them up at the fishing lakes apiary, there was much confusion, but they basically stayed in the hive where they remained until I checked them this week. To cut a very long story short, I added a very small cluster of bees that had what appeared to be a new queen to this hive in the hope that they would accept a queen and form a new population with maybe a laying queen. It was worth a try. The small cluster of bees with a queen is never going to survive a winter and the queenless community of bees hopefully are desperate for a queen so they appear to be ideally suited to each other. I didn't use any newspaper to unite them, simply placed the queenright colony on top of the queenless colony, as I normally do. Well, they seem to have survived the ordeal, although when I checked there was no sign of the queen. Time will tell. I reduced the three brood box stack down into one brood box, and to be honest, they were so small they could easily have become a five-frame nuke, which I might still do. Feeding was important, as they appeared to be starving. 
No surprise there, as they had previously been robbed out. Time will tell if they're going to survive, and I'll take another look at them next week. Remember to listen in next week for an update. Just thinking about feeding again, it's really important to emphasise that less is more at this time of the year. Hopefully, if you've planned to treat your bees, that's well underway. The next consideration is feeding. Should that be required, you have plenty of time right now to prepare. Feeding too early can be problematic in that the colony may fill up every available cell with food, restricting their queen from laying eggs. That should ultimately become the overwinter population, so don't get too heavy with sugar syrup too soon. Mid-September on colonies that are generally heavy should be fine. This is where hefting comes in, and I'll be repeating myself over and over during the coming weeks to remind you all to start hefting and to really concentrate on feeling the weight of the hives. Imagine the frames and how the food stores are being distributed. As the weeks pass and you feed your bees, try to imagine the frames being filled with food for the winter as the hive gets heavier each time you heft. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.